This is the Trey Blocker Show, starring Charlie Hodge and Trey Blocker. And now, here's Trey Blocker. In part two of my interview with Roy Beck, he explains the famous gumball illustration, points out that we can help the largest number of refugees by helping them in their own countries, and describes how unbridled immigration to the U.S. is damaging our environment, destroying farmland, and hurting working-class Americans. I hope you enjoy part two, and thank you for listening to The Trey Blocker Show. Isn't there also a component that's uh, referred to as the visa lottery? And that was put in in 1990. Okay. And in my thinking, it seems that seems really absurd. So you've got, we have all these pockets of non-employment. And non-employment is much bigger than unemployment. Unemployment means you actively look for a job last month. But then we have 12 million more working age Americans who are not in the workforce at all than we had before 08. We, we are continually larger and larger numbers, larger percentages of the American working age people are not working. Right. So we have all that going on. Not only we have this chain migrations coming in, but every year we raffle off 50,000 lifetime work permits. It's just at random. I mean, to to the people who... who Whose idea was that? Well, it was some members of Congress, and uh, it was done originally to help bring in more Irish. At the beginning, it was loaded for the Irish, and then after a few years, it it expanded the whole world. And it's it's not for everybody. If if a country has um, larger than a certain percentage of uh, the of the uh, immigrant population that's in the country, they can't play the lottery. So this is primarily for the, there, I think there's about 20 countries that can't play the lottery. But this is primarily for countries that don't have a lot of connections to the United States in terms of the people in it. So it's, it's, it, it has primarily been Eastern Europe, uh, the Middle East, uh, um, uh, all over Africa, uh, those are countries that have not had uh, a lot of access, and so we, and, and so millions, and millions of people pay their money. Uh, it's not a big fee, but it's kind of big for them. Right. And then every year we, we spend the, spend the, uh, I guess the computer wheel and 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 raffle off fifty thousand lifetime work permits without any regard to whether they have skills we need or anything else. Right. That's amazing. So, to me, it's the metaphor for our whole system, which. Our belief is is that the immigration system should serve the interests of the American people and, most importantly, not harm the people, the, the, our, the members of our national community who are the most vulnerable. Right. And we'll get to that in a second. I know you've written quite a bit about that. Uh, refugees are obviously a hot topic these mm-hmm. days uh, uh, with the Syrian refugee crisis and, and the crisis that's going on in Europe with over a million Syrian refugees flooding into into Germany and the rest of Europe. And so there's a lot of talk about it here. Obviously, President Trump has taken some action on that. 
Where do refugees fit into this? Because it, it, the more I think about refugees, it occurs to me that at any given second in the world, there is some crisis going on, some famine, some war. And so uh, we, we could literally fill the country with refugees yeah. uh, overnight if we wanted to. Yeah, and this gets into the numbers thing, proportionality. Um, uh, there are, you know, there, there are around 20 million uh, refugees who are outside of their countries. Uh, there are around 60 million, about another 40 million people who are displaced in their own countries. So you have 60 million people who, for one reason or another, kind of have felt driven out uh, uh, from their homes. These are incredible numbers. Right. Uh, so as you say, uh, so you can't take all of them. You can't take most of them. can't take half of them. I mean, really, 10% of it. That's 60 million, 6 million people right there. Uh, that's gigantic uh, numbers. Now, when you think about who's the most, who has the case that's the most deserving, right? It'd be the refugees. But that's not primarily how people run their immigration systems. They run them based on on a lot of other reasons. And we, you've just we've just gone over the, the what our policy has been. It's been family relationships and employment. Uh, we we've struggled with our board of directors. We talk about it here on the staff. Where, you know, what is, you know, where, where do you stand on it? Where can you, should we stand on it? We've always said that we believe the United States should continue to take its fair share of internationally recognized special needs refugees. Okay. There's actually a lot of qualifiers on there. Um, the international community, surprisingly, only, desi- only designates, a, you know, between 70 and 150,000 refugees a year for resettlement. That's surprising to most people. They just assume that the international community wants to settle millions of people. No, they know that the only hope, long-term hope, for these, these 60 million uh, displaced and refugees is to get them back home or to keep them in their own region. Right. That's the hope. Right. Plus, if, re- if everybody's being resettled, you can be sure there'd be a lot more people leaving their communities. Absolutely. Uh, so they own, the kind of people they designate for resettlement are supposed to be people who actually can't be safe in refugee camps because they themselves face persecution mm. from the other refugees. <laughs> That's one reason. Okay. Uh, or they sometimes it's because of a health reason in which the only way for them to get decent health care is not, is not in these refugee camps. There's, there's, and sometimes it's because of a, of, of a long-term political thing where they believe these people are. We do not believe that this regime, that the, no, this country will ever be ruled by a government that would allow this person, because of their previous political activity, to return. Interesting. So it's it's things like that. We so you know we have traditionally taken more than half of all the refugees in the world that are considered that need to be resettled. So in other words, we take more than all other countries put together. Right. That's definitely at least our fair share, if not more than our fair share. Uh, we believe that the, you know, when, when President Trump said that, he, that we should put a cap of around 50,000, that's very reasonable. We think it actually could be lower than that, but uh, it's very reasonable. Uh, the, uh, we also believe that the primary uh, effort of a humanitarian effort of the American people, privately and through their government, should be to number one, 
make it safe for as many refugees as possible. The first thing you want to do is save their lives. Right. So that can't be done with resettlement. That, that's that's got to be done there. Right. That's number one. Number two, get them into shelter and 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 safety as soon as possible, so that they can have shelter, food, at least primary medical care. Uh, make sure that happens really quickly, and then you start to develop from there. But we believe that. That this should that and you want to do it for the most people possible, and there's been fairly a number of studies that you know, basically the, it looks like for the money that our government spends on uh, on a refugee to resettle in this country, we can provide all of those other things to twelve refugees in their home ref- region. Sure, as long as we are not providing those other things to all the other refugees in those regions, it seems like. It just really seems kind of immoral to spend so much money on single refugees, bringing them here, instead of spending that same money on helping people in their home region. And and that brings up a good point. I I suspect, and tell me if I'm wrong, probably... One of your more famous videos is the is the video that you do with the gumballs and and for the audience's per, uh, sake, as I walk through the front door of uh, your office here, there's a big gumball machine, and as I sit here in your own office, there's a big jar of gumballs. So, uh, tell me quickly the point you were trying to make in that in that video. But if I remember correctly, one of those points was rather than flooding our country with people, we can do more for them by helping them where they are. And, and, that's, and that's way beyond just the refugee question. It's right. about the overall immigration question. The, uh, uh, by the way, I, I came up with this illustration because a, a bunch of parents were asked uh, to, uh, they, they spent two weeks in my son's seventh grade school, uh, asked parents to come in and talk about what they do. And just, so I did an illustration that okay. I thought seventh graders could understand. Right. And boy, that has been, the, the, the various videos, anybody can find them by just Googling YouTube gumballs. They'll see it. Right. And uh, over 100 million views. I mean, this thing has swept the world. But it's, it, what, in the illustration, I just point out that one gumball represents one million people. And that's about how many people we take a year from other countries. Now, we aren't really taking the, the poorest and everything else, but, but, but a large part of it is coming from poor countries. Right. And then I just, what I do is I fill the, the jars with uh, gumballs for every million people in the world who are, live at a lower poverty level than the average Mexican. And it's, it's, over five, it's over 5 billion people. Wow. So I have more than 5. So in the end, I've got these jars filled with over 5,000 gumballs. And you just take one gumball out of there and say, that's what we're doing with our immigration policy. Right. It, I mean, visually, can you see any possibility in the world that we are really making any impact sure. with immigration? Right. But then you talk about all the efforts, especially the nonprofit efforts, the efforts that churches make and, and civic clubs uh, around the world where you're help working directly in local places, you could just change lives overnight by helping dig a well Absolutely. sometimes. Uh, it, because happiness is not determined by how glitzy the things you have are. It's really determined by uh, uh, your, your personal relationships, your family, your culture, and whether you have to worry about, you know, disease and, and, and uh, shelter and, and nutrition. Once you get above that level, we don't have to raise everybody in the world to our level right. for them to be happy. Right. Uh, that's arrogance on our part if we think that <laughs> we true. have the secret to happiness. 
but anyway, you can do so much by going. But you, you, since you cannot help the rest of the world through immigration, if that's what you're concerned about, then put yourself into helping people, far more people, where they live, because. There's no way, I don't care how open your immigration policy is going to be today, it's still not going to make a dent. It can't do anything close to what you can do by helping people where they live. That's right. So I, I would encourage everyone to, to Google Roy Beck Gumballs and watch this YouTube video because it really is amazing. It's hard to, hard to lose track of, of numbers when you're thinking of them in, in the abstract sense. But yeah. to see these gumballs, it, it really does drive I, the point. I, I realize that not, I, I, now I can see numbers. Uh, but I realize that most people don't. Right. And uh, so the gumballs, are, I, I, uh, so I bet I, I did the first gumballs video in 96. Okay. And I did, I did the thing for my kids' class, I think, in 94. So that's how long it's been around. And, <laughs> and it uh, doesn't matter how many books I've written or anything else. That's, uh, that's every right. once in a while I get recognized and say, hey, aren't you the gumballs man? <laughs> <laughs> so I got a practical question. Who carries around all these gumballs? <laughs> <laughs> I, used to, I used to haul them through the airports. You know, uh, Inconvenient Truth, the video by, uh, uh, about Al Gore. Remember? Right. Uh, sure, back sure, sure. Well, they showed him carrying his own luggage, how he went around doing these things. Well, the, before he was doing that, I was lugging charts and, and gumballs. And I, I'd walk through the, and, and I'd carry them through the secu- security uh, through the airports because I didn't want to send them through the baggage claim. Right. Uh, that, I got lots of looks through the years. I bet. <laughs> I bet. Um, so to put our immigration policy in perspective as it currently stands, we let in over a million people into this country legally, and then we have another large number coming yeah. in illegally, which we haven't even talked about that. How does that compare to other countries, uh, first world countries around the world? I mean, basically, our million a year is is uh, very close to as much as all the other countries together take in legal immigration. Wow. And then, as I said, we about the same thing is true on, on uh, uh, resettling uh, internationally recognized refugees. Now, I, I want to say on the refugees that there are Europe has a much higher proportion of refugees, but they they aren't resettled. They are these are basically illegal migrants who come in and then they haven't they haven't made them leave. I see. So they they've a lot of these countries have accepted these large numbers of refugees, not in an official way. Okay, but anyway, that's a good point. That's but anyway, point. yes, we our you know our numbers because we're a large country, uh, so you would expect that we would take more than we'd take more than the Netherlands. But what's interesting is. China is a larger country. India is a larger country. They don't take anything like this kind right. of Absolutely. number of immigrants. Sure. Well, I've never viewed it as a, as an obligation. Maybe some people do. Some do. I, I think we should be acting in our own best interest, uh, and we'll get to the reform that's currently hopefully making its way yeah. through Congress. But uh, you've written a lot about what the effects of, of this unbridled immigration has uh, on our country from an environmental standpoint, from mm-hmm. the standpoint of uh, the destruction of farmland uh, and, and how it affects the working class, the middle class. Do you mind touching on those issues a bit? Yeah. Well, I'll bring it home to Texas, and I've, I've, I've got this uh, report right in front of me. We, uh, Numbers USA did a, a study of um, uh, the loss of open space, loss of farmland and natural habitat in uh, Texas, uh, the in the well, basically since 1982, and uh, we presented this at this Texas State Fairgrounds uh, on the Earth Day weekend right. just this year. Uh, the uh, 
the, the, the number of uh, the number of acres that is lost every every week is tw- 2,500. There's 2,500 acres of farmland and natural habitat that are, in a sense, cleared, bulldozed, built upon right. uh, every single week. Uh, so uh, that's an environmental issue. It's not just an it's, it's bigger than an environmental issue, but it is an environmental issue as well. Um, and most of this uh, loss of natural habitat and farmland is in what I call the Texas Urban Triangle, defined by San Antonio, Houston, and Dallas. And Dallas. Right. Um, which is the area where the best farmland is. Sure. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, and, and, and in many ways, I think you'd have to say the ecosystems are, for the most part, a little more important uh, in that part. As a, but uh, if everybody, if all the people who are moving to Texas were moving to West Texas, uh, there's a little more space, uh, perhaps. Without there's a lot more space. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, there's a lot more space. There's a with not quite as much impact, but then right. there'd be the big water issues, wouldn't sure. it? And that's the reason they're not moving there. Right. You know, they, they, they settle in East Texas because there's water in East Texas. But this is this is important. Twenty five hundred acres every week, um, and and it's what we've looked at. We've been doing this since two thousand and, and all over the country. What is the role of population growth? Uh, and in in the case of in the case of, of Texas, there's 8,700 new Texans added every week. Right. So 8,700 new Texans, 2,500 acres lost. And uh, and, and it's lost, uh, actually, in the last 10 years, it's lost mainly because of the new the, the added population because actually the average Texan is using less land per person than they were using. Uh what we've what, one thing we we know is that new immigrants and birth to immigrants in Texas are fifty seven percent of the Texas population. So, to the extent that the loss of this natural habitat and farmland is a problem, population is the major cause of that. Right, and that and immigration is about fifty seven percent of it. So this is a federal policy, uh, immigration. It, it doesn't have to be that high. It could be lower. Sure. And it's, some people misunderstand this on both sides. This is not, the loss is not because immigrants are immigrants. It's just because they're additional Numbers. people. They're That's additional right. people. In fact, we've, it's a little bit complicated. There's no good studies, but it looks like the average immigrant probably has a somewhat less impact on the environment than the average native-born American. Their children, pretty much the same. Right. But the fact is, is that they need all the things that anybody else needs. They come to America to live like Americans, and we do not want to have a, a, a two-level society in which immigrants are brought in to be serfs and, and live in hovels. Right. That's right. We, we want them to live the American dream too. So that's that's the that's the that's where the environmental problem comes from. Well, and you know, from the standpoint of Texas and losing farmland, which we cherish and. And uh, the more people we have, the more, uh, the more we're polluting the air, uh, the more we're placing pressure on our water resources, uh, the more landfills we're digging. Yeah. Uh, and so at some point, it seems common sense should take over, and uh, there needs to be some new policies. And I know Senator Tom Cotton out of Arkansas has, has introduced a new piece of legislation uh, in February of this year that he's referring to as the RAISE Act. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I must say, being from Texas and not working on, in, in Washington, D.C., I'm always humored by the great links and pain yes. that, that people in D.C. go through to come up with a great acronym yes. for, for a piece That's of right. legislation. But So what does raise, does it even matter, what, what does the bill do? Yeah, the, I will say, uh, I can't even remember what the, I've already forgotten <laughs> okay. what, what the R-A-I-S-E stands right. for. Right. But, it, but the idea is that it will help give Americans a raise in their wages. That's, okay. that's what it's about. And it's, it is about, the, the, the bottom line is that it would immediately reduce legal immigration by 40%, take it from over a million a year down to about 600,000. And then uh, because of some ratcheting down that would happen afterwards, within a few years it would be down to about a half million. So this is a, this is a, it's a huge impact. And it would do it by taking on the lottery, the visa lottery, do away with it, right. and it would do away with chain migration. It would... Uh, it does not deal with the 140,000 that businesses can bring in uh, for employment-based, and it does not change people's ability to marry and and, and uh, adopt overseas. And it does, and it, but it it does set a 50,000 limit on refugees. But overall, what it does is it does away with chain migration. It just says. Whatever reason we bring you into the country, you are going to come into the country based on who you are, either a humanitarian need or you are a spouse or my, or adopted child, or we need you because of your skill. Right. And you can bring your spouse and minor children. That's it. There's, it's, it, it and it's, that's, that there are, there's no other way you can come in the United States and get a lifetime work permit. Now, tons of ways you can come and be a visitor, uh, be a tourist, be a student, be a, stu- a, t- a guest a student. There are also quite a number of ways to be a guest worker. Right. But to become an, a permanent part of this society, that's the only ways. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a profound change, but it actually is changing things halfway, the numbers halfway back to where they were in 1965 and what had been our average. And, uh, uh, it's, and it, it definitely turns back a bunch of things that happened with the 1990 Act, getting rid of the visa lottery, for example. Uh, and and uh, uh, some of the increases in the chain migration, we just think it's a it's a tremendous thing. And by the way, Barbara Jordan, uh, Texas's own uh, great civil rights icon, right. she the last act of a illustrious public service career was to be chairwoman of a bipartisan joint commission on immigration reform, and she and that commission said that. The top things that needed to happen in immigration was do away with the lottery and chain migration. In other words, the cotton bill is, in a way, should be, could be called the Barbara Jordan uh, uh, Immigration Act. It's, it's what she and that commission recommended all the way back in 1996. Well, and, and she made some, back then, made some incredible statements uh, about immigration and immigration reform, and I would certainly encourage our listeners to, to, to get, get on their Google and, and search that as well, because she had it right back then, and, and it, it sounds like you're trying to carry on her legacy to some degree. It is, and you know, there are people who, there are people who really do bad things for bad reasons, and they know they're doing it for bad reasons. But most people choose their place on the political spectrum because there's, they have values that they, it's, it's where they put their priorities. Right. So uh, those of us who are, in a way, battling each other on public policy, on immigration, 
are, are, are putting our values in different places. And, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's really not to say somebody's values are better than other. We're a democracy, so we kind of, as a people, decide which value do we put, put, put above others. The values that Barbara Jordan and that commission were looking at was, and I said this a little earlier, was that immigration policy should not be a tool. This is, this is the, a lot of the Old Testament prophets get back into Sunday school teaching. We talk about woe to those who put their finger on the scale against the poor. You know, right. Basically, when you're weighing the grain and how much you're going to pay them right. and all that. Who, who put their finger on the scale. Here's the powerful putting their finger on the scale against the people who are already in bad shape. She says high immigration is putting government putting its finger on the scale against the poor, against people who are not working, against people who are working and making low wages. It's 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 a it, to her high immigration was a tool of economic injustice. Now, there are other values that you can pour in there, but in if, but in terms of kind of a little better playing field, um, that's what she was trying to do. I started this organization in late 1996 after she had died right. in early 96. And that was exactly our reason for forming, was to educate about, advocate for the recommendations of Barbara Jordan and her bipartisan commission. Now we take on a few. There's a, there was another commission, actually an environmental commission, under President Clinton, that also made the recommendations to cut immigration even more. Right. So those are the things that we that we exist for at Numbers USA, and we have over eight million people who are connected to us uh, through the internet that have opted in to uh, receive our information and to receive our action alerts. Uh, the uh, uh, I, I, I'm very sorry that t- over 20 years after her death. Uh, that, that I still have a job. I, I, I wish that we had, had uh, succeeded. Sure. But so that does bring me to the to the next question. I know we're running low on time now. We could probably talk about this the rest of the afternoon. But um, Senator Cotton's bill seems like a good common sense piece of legislation. Being someone who's worked in politics for a long time, I know that that doesn't always carry the day. Well, so. Sir. What, uh, what, what chances do you put on this legislation actually becoming law? It's, let me say what, what goes towards the chances. Number one, it, is, it represents the views of the vast majority of Americans. We know from the polling. Right. We also know that it, it represents things that people feel strongly about. Uh, immigration, bringing immigration down, serving the interests of the American worker, where primary reasons why Donald Trump was elected president. Sure. Uh, he and Hillary Clinton had very different positions. I really do believe if Hillary Clinton had run with an immigration platform that was the same as Bill Clinton's, uh, she would be the president. She wouldn't have had a change to another thing. Right. She would be president because it was that close of an election. Immigration played that role. So that's one thing that says there's, there's, a, there's a chance. Uh, the second thing that says there's a chance is that for the first time, uh, uh, for the first time certainly since 1996, there's a president who I think would sign the bill. Right. I, 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 and uh, uh, the, the, the last, three pre- last three presidents really, last, really, I'm going to say maybe the last seven presidents haven't really been inclined to talk, talk about cutting immigration. Uh, Bill Clinton's wasn't to cut immigration, but he was definitely for for stopping illegal immigration. That's that's where I think Hillary could have done a lot better. Right. She would have just stood up against illegal immigration. Uh, 
So uh, that makes a big difference. Uh, President Trump spoke about, he didn't speak about the bill, but he did speak about the need to bring the numbers down in his State of the Union address. He uh, invited Senator Cotton to the White House after the introduction of the bill and congratulated him on it, said he really liked it. He'd like to see a few other things put in there. Um, and But that's good. That's good. Now, we don't know whether it's, there's a big difference between somebody saying, I support this versus I'm going to support it. That's right. right. Put some political capital behind right. it. He's right. got, it's not going to happen if the president doesn't put a lot of oomph in it. And obviously, all of this political fall draw that's going on right now is not make it helpful for presidents to exercise influence. So for, for, the, for the audience's benefit, as I'm sitting here in your office in Washington, D.C., former F. BI Director Comey has been testifying in front of Congress, yeah. and that's not helpful to the president trying to push forward an agenda yeah. when, when there are these other it's, issues it's, on the side. And, and, and the, other, the other part that makes this hard is that the Republican leadership of the House and Senate are not people who have traditionally been, uh, have been motivated by these kind of issues. Uh, their motivation has been more to uh, uh, help the various corporate interests meet their what they feel like are their labor needs, make it easier for them to fill right. fill their jobs, and, and asking for more foreign labor. Uh, so that's a, that's an impediment. However, the vast majority of Republicans who are in the Congress have run on some part of this kind of, uh, you know, at least in their campaigns. So. Part of what we do at Numbers USA is we we mobilize these eight million people uh, to contact their members of Congress right. and educate and 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 to influence them as constituents. Uh, so that's we've got that going on. Uh, by the way, Senator Cotton is a uh, he is a take charge kind of guy. Good, uh, a young man in a hurry. We've seen a few of those, but uh, so so you know the bill has a has a strong proponent. I, I think that I think though if we were really realistic, we'd say that in order to get through the Senate, I believe that if I believe Paul Ryan will bring a bill like this to the floor in the House, it will pass easily. And then if that would I think push McConnell, the majority leader of the Senate, to bring it to the floor, and then we're going to need at least eight Democrats. Right. And we know from polling that. There are 10 Democratic senators who are up for re-election next year who are from states that were won by Trump. Mm. And where this issue is, we've polled in those states, this issue is big, big, big. So that's still probably not going to be enough. There's probably going to have to be some kind of compromise. Right. And the compromise will probably uh, involve uh, the DACA, some people call it the DACA people, the, 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 the dreamers. The, the, these, these the people uh, who are already here. Three quarters of a million people who uh, who were brought here illegally as children right. and are now going into adulthood. And it may, you know, something in that way. There, there's probably going to have to be some kind of a compromise before something gets through. Right. We're not proposing that pro compromise. We're proposing what we think is best for the American worker and people and, and for the farmland and for the natural habitats. But, uh, uh, you know, for the most part, if you are, if, if whatever your goal is, you will take nothing except that goal pure, you 
are probably end lost. up ending your life not having accomplished anything. Right. So I think we have to say that there's 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 a fair amount more legislative uh, negotiating to go on That's before right. we see where we finally get. So I had Congressman Lamar Smith in my studio about a month ago, and as you well know, you know him personally. He's he's worked on this issue for a long time, and I asked Congressman Smith what he thought the chances of us ever having uh, what we like to refer to as comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, And I don't want to misquote him, but I'm pretty sure his response was, I'm not sure we'll ever get it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to hear that that that's what you think he said, because that's what I hope he'd say. Yeah, (laughs) because comprehensive immigration reform has, what it has meant is, it has meant an amnesty, uh, lifetime work permits, and uh, for, uh, you know, all 11, 12, whatever million number of people who are here illegally, who've overstayed their visas or crossed the border illegally. Right. And it's also meant huge increases in annual legal immigration. And so um, what I hope is that we will never have a bill that will increase sure. uh, legal immigration. So, however, is there a chance that something... See, I, I would say that something like what I was talking about a while ago, the Take the Raise Act... And and uh, find some ways to kind of tr- deal with some different interest um, that we can that we can get to to a, a point of what's pretty comprehensive. Uh, you know, one of the one of the groups that is uh, interest. One of the interests. George Washington said, "We're a nation of interests." That's, that's right. okay. That's right. Everybody, it's it's all right for you to fight for your interest. Well, the the, the agricultural industry has always been very concerned about this. Uh, I think one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that we have an H-2A visa, temporary visa. It's unlimited. Any farmer in America can bring in an unlimited number of foreign workers. There's no limit to how many foreign workers any farmer can bring in. On a temporary basis. On a temporary basis. There are some rules on how you do it. Uh, So nothing we're talking about, including any kind of enforcement on illegal immigration, will mean that anything goes unpicked in the fields or anything like that. However, we have agreed with the agriculture lobby for a long time that the H-2A process could be a lot better. Right. Because you're dealing with perishable commodities, and so it needs to be more reliable, less red tape. Uh, uh, We don't believe it ought to be where it's cheaper per person in terms of that we don't want this to be slave labor. Sure. But you can cut out a lot of other costs uh, involved. And I, but what I've learned from the farmers is their biggest concern is reliability. You just got to know that if I if I if it's ten days before a crop to be picked, that I can I can basically I've got everything set up. I basically put in a call, and I know those workers will be brought in from wherever they're brought in. Right. And it'll work. We can work on that. This is and and you know less than five percent of illegal aliens. Are farm workers. A lot of people don't realize that either. I Most illegal right. aliens work in construction, and manufacturing, hospitality, other services. Uh, these are all jobs that Americans of the same uh, education level right. uh, are, are are out of the workforce. So we we don't want to we don't want to take away the incentive to to recruit among non-working Americans who are dependent upon government and and uh, and relatives and charity. We want people to have the dignity. Uh, and also the responsibility of paying for themselves. Uh, work them, you know, let them work the job, earn the money. Absolutely. Well, as, as I mentioned, we're running low on time. I'm going to ask you one more question and we can wrap up. Um, 
when I talk to Republicans, every, like you said, everyone has a different idea of what comprehensive immigration reform is. Mm-hmm. When I talk to Republicans, their idea of comprehensive is secure the border first and then lower the numbers of legal immigra- immigrants coming to the nation uh, and, and base that upon some skill set that we need, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and if I take uh, Congressman Smith's um, thought that, well, maybe we're never going to get there. I know there was a 1950 Supreme Court decision, and then it was memorialized by Congress in 1952 that basically stated the president has sole authority to determine, uh, at least for a short period of time, who comes here and who doesn't. So would it make sense, I think we have a president who might actually do this, would it make sense for President Trump to place a complete moratorium on all legal immigration until there's a bill passed, such as Senator Cotton's bill? <laughs> well, uh, in terms of the working classes of America and in terms of the environment and farmland, that would be a great thing to have just total moratorium. Uh, while it may have been possible at one point to do it, I don't think a president can do it today because the president basically just tried to put a, 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 a moratorium on, on travel for a while, and the courts, he's got, it's all tied up in the courts. I'm not sure where the courts will stand today in terms, of, in terms of the president's, how much power the president really has. And, you know, in the end, uh, you've only got the power the courts allow you to have. Now, having said those two things, we don't advocate a total moratorium and because I would want, not want... I would not want people who have been in the process of trying to adopt children to have that process interrupted. I would not want people who, you know, who decide next year to have to adopt children. I wouldn't want that interrupted. I right. don't want people to not be able to marry. Uh, I, you know, I think we can. I think we can have a more orderly kind of situation. That, that we we and and I don't want. I don't. They're 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 definitely. I don't think there's 140,000 a year, but I think there's probably at least 20,000 a year uh, people who the economy really needs. Right. So I think some of that needs to happen. Would I like to see the president be able to put a moratorium on chain migration? Yes, I would. But, uh, and I'm not, but overall, what I'd like to see is the people's elected representatives in Congress take this up, debate it, really talk through and go, does this make sense? Who, you know, exactly what are our top priorities? Uh, and and uh, I thank you for uh, paying attention to this for, for uh, seeking me out, coming to my office. Uh, all the, you know, our, what we hope is to, is to expand the, uh, uh, the public knowledge about these issues. And, and even though, you know, it's been 20 years, uh, to think about the fact, you know, to, for the people who knew who Barbara Jordan was, right. to know this was her... You know, at the end of her life, this was her vision for a, for a uh, a good America. This was this was imperative that we do this. Uh, so even though it's taken all these years, I think by the way, if she had lived, if she had lived even two months longer than she lived, because she died just before the votes, okay. I believe that her recommendations would have passed. Immigration would have never been a part of any of these campaigns over the last twenty years. Oh wow! Because. Because her recommendations would have essentially resolved this issue, people would go back to feeling great about immigration. Because right. the, what immigration we had, they would, they would feel great about. We would have very little illegal immigration. That's how. That's how much on target Barbara Jordan was, and that's why we keep bringing her up. 
is that it was a vision that is doable. That's my that's my not my rather not a yes or no answer. <laughs> well, Mr. Beck, I appreciate you taking the time uh, and allowing me into your office to talk about this issue. As I said, I, I'd love to sit here all afternoon and talk about it, but uh, we've run out of time. Um, as as I mentioned, I would encourage everyone who who listens to this podcast to go to numbersusa.com uh, and to Google Roy Beck and Gumballs and watch that video as well. Uh, there's a plethora of information uh, on your website, and we will do our our best to promote it uh, through this podcast. So thank you, sir. Thanks so much. This has been the Trey Blocker Show. If you like what you heard, please visit treyblocker.com for more episodes and a chance to donate and support the show. Thank you for listening.